0: Welcome to GLF Live, a podcast from the Global Landscapes Forum. In this episode, we're bringing you a brand new interview about one of the most promising solutions to climate change, planting trees and restoring forests to absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. We're joined today by a cast of three foresters and forest experts offering their own unique takes on where forestry is headed in 2023 and the changes they'd like to see. This conversation was originally streamed live on our YouTube and social media channels just two weeks ago, so our apologies if you've already heard it. In case you haven't though, here it is, specially edited for you to enjoy.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to today's uh, GLF Live. My name is Lini, I'm the Youth Coordinator at the Global Landscapes Forum and we are here today to talk about forest restoration, Um, Last year, the Global Landscape Forum um, ran a beautiful series of articles called Roots to Roots on the different methods of forest restoration. And we are here today to discuss with three amazing experts from very, very different forest restoration backgrounds on what is at the table for the upcoming decade, the next year and all the years ahead. Um, Where is uh, forest restoration progressing? Where we need to progress with it? Um, and uh, all the details around forest restoration. So um, please welcome with me here Eva Makandi, or Kandi as I know her, uh, the Global Landscapes Forum Forest Restoration Steward for 2022 and um, the founder of a beautiful community-led organization in Kenya called Light on the Hill Organization. We also have here with us Robert Nassi, the interim CEO of Forest Research Institute, Seaport and World of the Forestry, ICRAF, uh, and Tom Krautner, uh, the founder of the Krautner Lab in the Department of Global Ecosystem Ecology at ETH in Switzerland, um, and the chair of the UN Decade on Ecosystem Restoration. Welcome, everyone. I'm very, very happy to, to learn from you today. Uh, and without further ado, because I'm sure the audience is very eager to hear what you have to say, I'm going to start with the first question. Um, the first question is for you, Robert. So you've been one of the world's. Um, biggest scientist when it comes to forest restoration in the forefronts of forests for decades now and have certainly watched forest res- restoration go through multiple transformations. Um, what are your thoughts on forest restoration right now? Where are we at? Are we at the high, at the low, at the plateau or otherwise?
2: Thanks. It, it's difficult to say where, where we are because it's very much um, a moving uh, target. That people tend to forget, but forest restoration is not something new. I mean, we we created the global partnership for forest landscape restoration something like 20, 25 years ago. But at that time, we, we were a bit like the weird guys uh, over there, and then, now it's getting much more prominence, uh, linked to the whole effect of land degradation, and people are just starting to realize. The economic and uh, livelihood and social cost of degradation, climate change and and so and they realize that we are living on a finite world, so there is finite amount of space uh, and uh, of course I mean the space is used very much and so the, the places that are not used are mostly the ones that are degraded. So I w- I would say that the restoration has a stronger political impetus. Uh, I think that. We are very much relying on well-established methods, and what I see for me as a bit worrying now is that there seems to be a sort of a, uh, a very polarized, polarized dialogue, and people saying that no, uh, you shouldn't do restoration because it is just an excuse uh, uh, not to stop uh, using fossil fuel, uh, and and other people uh, try to. To do restoration because it's effectively a business as usual and this is their excuse to continue doing what they are doing where in fact uh this is very much needed and for many reasons beyond climate change and so so I think we if, if we have something that we can do as the glf and as Tom I mean it, it really convinced the people that we need to do restoration for many 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 reasons and that is not going to save the world uh, if we continue burning fossil fuel at the rate we are burning fossil fuel but it is part of the solution so i think that's where we are and i think that we should fight against this very uh, polarized and pretty uh, obviously simplistic message
1: thank you robert i think it's it's a quite a nice way to start this that we should fight against the simplistic messages of of dualities that do not really help anyone um, so, I'm going to move to Candy then. Um, Candy, you are a young forester. You are a young forest restorator. Um, as a young person, you've decided to devote your career to forest restoration. Why is that? What, what led you to believe that this is what you have to do with your life to have an impact for your community?
3: Uh, thank you so much, Irini. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, glad to be here and uh i would say yes as you clearly said i'm a young person and where my um drive and love for nature and restoration came from is because i'm a child of nature i was raised in a rural community in kenya known as kirwa and um i grew up with nature i grew up um Benefiting in so many ways uh, from nature. Uh, we are uh, an agricultural community, and that means that even my school tuition actually came from agriculture. Uh, we had friends, our friends, our playmates, for our birds, for our ducks, everywhere, you know. And um, over the years uh, of my growth, uh, I saw a degradation in my community and in my country and uh, I had this urge as uh, I'm actually a community developer by profession and I truly love working with communities and in 2020 after working with different communities in Kenya, uh, I knew it was time to come back to my community and try and work with them and we could come together with solutions to restore our environment, of course, in the forest, which had uh, greatly degraded due to, of course, agricultural reasons, uh, for reasons to expand agriculture, for reasons to grow businesses in charcoal, uh, for reasons to like build houses, for timber reasons. And uh, that was my greatest dream. That's why I do what I do, to just uh, restore back... Uh, the environment I grew up knowing and grew up knowing so many benefits of uh, having a well restored and well conserved environment and forest and all that. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Candy. And it's always beautiful to see your story. And for anyone that hasn't seen Candy's story, please go check the Restoration Stewards blogs. You will see amazing pictures and videos of all the wonderful uh, work her community, her team, and herself are doing. Um, Thomas, uh, the next question is for you. Since your lab was established around six years ago, in 2017, now that we're in 2023, uh, it has skyrocketed your team and yourself into a face and a voice for science-led forest and landscape restoration. Um, You have an amazing platform, but beyond that platform, what changes do you want to, to bring in how restoration is being conducted?
4: Yeah, thanks so much for the introduction and for for having us on here. I think it's a a really great combination of perspectives here. Um, And to answer your question, I think that perspective has been changing. At the beginning, our goal was get the message out about the immense power that restoration has—not just for climate change, but for human livelihoods. As Robert said, it's so much more than just climate change. It's livelihoods. It's biodiversity. Uh, and as Eva said, it's you know people's dependency on on nature. And so at the beginning, it was the absolute drive was to highlight just how much potential there is in global restoration. Um, as uh, you know, again, as, as Robert said, it's a it's a long time that people have been thinking about this. It's a very old um, academic pursuit and and it's been going on for a very long time in the real world. It's just that there's there's been a growing awareness of the value of, of global restoration for people, climate, biodiversity. Uh, and now that we've we've reached that stage where there's a lot of conversation about it, there's also a lot of controversy about it. Again, as Robert mentioned, this idea that no restoration is just an excuse to not cut fossil fuel emissions. That is such a polarizing and um uh, sort of disruptive idea because it negates all of the immense values that that restoration brings across the entire uh, economy and and global livelihoods and well-being of people and and biodiversity. So it's critical that we get over those hurdles. And I think the way we do that in, in our scientific goal is to try and show more of the values of of restoration that that come to people around the world, and also to to highlight. How it is done best in different regions restoration means a thousand different things it can be the conservation of land so nature can recover it can mean agroforestry silviculture it can mean a, a, you know thousands of different avenues but ultimately restoration means finding the solutions that make nature the economic option for local people. When that happens, it it thrives and propagates across the planet. When we get biodiversity and people being empowered, that's when the benefits happen at the local scale, and we realize them on a global scale. So our research wants to try and highlight more and more and more of those, those avenues. You see examples of people working with microbes. By introducing microbes, microbial health, you can regenerate uh, ecosystems uh, better. Or by working with animals, you can spread seeds more effectively and, and connect ecosystems in a better way. And obviously, always by working with people, it's how you find those best solutions. So it's, it's not just about planting lots of trees. It's about building a world where nature can recover for the well-being of people.
1: What a beautiful message, Tom! Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love how you all basically mentioned so many different uh, elements that make up restoration—from people, livelihoods, nature, climate change—but also the controversies around them. I think it's it's very important to not shy away from from the um, from the controversies that these narratives have as well. Um, now, Robert, we heard uh, Tom talking about the different. Meanings that restoration have in different places around the world. But we also know that from the technical perspective, when we talk about forest restoration, there are many, many different methods with people having very strong opinions on what's the best method. So we have agroforestry, natural regeneration, plantation forest, just to, to name a few. Um, and we know that each of them have like a key contribution to the overall mix that we need for, for forest restoration. But in your view, are there certain um, methods that are taking too much attention or too little attention? And what would you like to change of what we can call a recipe for forest restoration? Uh,
3: I, I
2: don't know if uh, what, if you ask the people in the, in the street, the average person and uh, say, well, what is forest landscape restoration? And they, they will show you a place with our tree, and this is, uh, in, in 20 years, there will be a forest there. So, and, and it's very much the thinking is, okay, we are going to plant the trees, and things will grow, and, uh, and uh, that, that's, I would say, the sort of the, the prevalent thinking. But in fact, uh, there are much more, much more beyond restoration. And, and the first point is to understanding why the land has been degraded. And, and um, when I joined C4 a few years after I joined C4, which is now something like 25 years ago, we did a survey of restoration exercise in the world. And we see that a lot of the the project failed. And then the project failed because fundamentally, they were just dropped onto a place that we as scientists saw as degraded, uh, where the local people didn't think at all that it was degraded. And uh, they were paid for planting trees, and they were happy to take the money planting trees. And as soon as the project started, uh, and that, the tree was just forgotten. So I think that's the important part and the spin that we have now is it's the fact that we really, really need to work with the, the local community, whoever they are, local people, indigenous people, or or logging company, the people that are living on the land that understand, in fact, what, what is degraded and what sort of technique you can apply. And, and here we have so many of the simplest one, the cheapest one is to put a fence and avoid goats or thing to come and then or protect against fire or alternatively use a different fire regime. Or, um, there is a very interesting experiment now on, in Brazil, where, in fact, people are planting eucalypts, monoclonal eucalypts. And if you say that, uh, you be afraid you are planting eucalypts. But in fact, they use the eucalypts to create a shade and a beginning of a, of a litter. And then there is a growth of the, of the natural forest. And after seven, eight, they cut the calypse and they make money and then they, can, they get money to maintain their restoration plots. And that's it, and then they let the natural. So there are so many methods that can be used. Uh, the really good important point is that it needs to go together with what people want on the ground, and it needs to have clear objective. I mean, sort of, and and it's it goes well well beyond the campaign. Let's plant uh, ten million trees or something like that, which is the thing that you see most. I mean, recently uh, 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 the president in Kenya said that we are going to plant fifteen million trees. That's a very good idea. I think that's sort of way. Which tree are and for which purpose? is the real question. Uh, Saudi Arabia wants to plant 20 billion trees in, 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 in the Middle East. I mean, OK, again, how do you plant 20 billion trees? So this thing, I think we have too much about the planting trees and, and counting big numbers and not enough in terms of the, OK, what we need is an area that we want to change for being degraded and productive into being productive generating ecosystem services and and value to other people.
1: Thank you, Robert. That's, um, that's quite, quite interesting to hear. And I think also it's probably quite understandable for a lot of people, because I think, as you said, if you ask the average person in the street what they think of forest restoration, they will actually think of just planting trees, but not what comes after that or what thinking comes behind planting this specific tree. Thank you so much. And uh, I saw Kandy nodding a lot uh, during uh, your your comments, especially when you were mentioning how we have to think of the people that live in the landscape and the needs of the people that are living and breathing the, the, the landscapes that the, the restoration project is to take place. So Kandy, coming um, back to you, um, the African Forest Landscape Restoration Initiative, Africa 100, is one of the world's ras- largest restoration efforts. Led by African countries. And on the other hand, we have people like you that are leading small scale, community based, very informed restoration um, projects on, on forests. So, how do you see those small scale restoration projects that are so intimately close to the communities um, and the livelihoods of the people interacting with these large scale restoration efforts? Uh, thank you,
3: uh, Again, um... Why I really nodded with um, Robert's uh, contribution is, uh, for instance, myself. When I started my restorative work, um, I partnered with farmers. And, you know, uh, as you're saying, uh, the Saudi Arabian, even our president right now, there's a huge um, mobilization of people to plant trees, 15 billion trees, uh, and I actually went with a similar kind of. Um, I started off with that kind of route, uh, making farmers to plant trees. I'd go there, give them trees, and uh, unfortunately, three months down the line, uh, most of those trees had died. And asking them, why didn't you take care of the trees? We had actually, I had actually touched them over technique on uh, drip irrigation. With plastic bottles out to of course recycle uh, plastic bottles but they said what they need is food uh, they need money and they don't see how these trees that will take 10 plus years to grow will bring them that money and food and resources they need for their the sustainment of their families and that's why i went back and um changed my whole approach uh, to creating more awareness, and actually bringing these people on the table, letting them, having them understand. And actually, I went back to now educating, and mainly of children, uh, because, of course, at the moment, I at the time, I did not have the resources to involve all the community members and bring them there. But with children, I thought to be a really great... Um, chance to now bring in this for knowledge. Uh, how do we restore our environment? How do we restore our agricultural lands? Uh, maybe it's through organic farming, something we do with them with vegetable farming and whatnot. And now to come to the question of um, uh, the larger organizations and collaborating with us as small holder or small group organizations. I think uh, over time, uh, when I started off, of course, I felt um, rushed off most of the times when I went to a couple of offices, you know, how long the question is, how long have you been operating? And once you say, like, two months or three months, I'm like, okay, uh, that is very nice. I see you're trying to uh, help us, but uh, I think you should just go back and... Um, find more solutions or keep doing what you're doing. You know, those comments people tell you, keep doing what you're doing, you're doing great. But really, actually, I think that has been one of the most, I think, discouraging comments because, yes, you tell someone, go do what you're doing, but uh, I can clearly see you have the potential to help me do it better. But uh, it's just a brush off because maybe I'm a my young person and we feel that I have no experience to do whatever I'm doing or uh for me I come from a very patriarchal society uh, I'm a woman and uh it's okay uh fine uh keep on uh teaching those children I know they appreciate you and I, I I'm happy I and I keep on vouching to doing that uh, but I feel over time it has changed I saw so in COP27 there are so many indigenous um communities represented. And I feel there's something there, the narrative is changing, and that is truly uh, encouraging for people like us. However, at the same time, uh, I feel that uh, there's still a long way to go because for instance, if uh, let's say a huge organization wishes to partner in, with like, uh, an organization in Kenya, they will definitely go for the high profiled organizations. And most times the grassroots organizations are hardly uh, involved in this conversation. So even it's really hard to find anyone to believe in whatever efforts they're putting in. Because maybe uh, you don't have the kind of uh, presence uh, they'd love to have in whatever work they're doing. Or maybe it's, um, it's a young organization or this person is not very... Uh, equipped with the knowledge to do all these things or they don't have the human resource to grow. So I feel there's still a huge gap and I would wish personally uh, for more people to believe in us and I'm truly grateful to GLF for giving me, for instance, an opportunity and more young people all over the world to really showcase whatever they're doing. Because, because of that, now I'm here today and I'm so happy that I can get to share some of my insights on restoration and everything else and so, yeah, that's it.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Candy. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you also for sharing your concerns very loud and clear. Um, I think this sentiment is shared among many young people, or not just young people, among many locally led grassroots restoration actions um, that are happening around the world. Um, so Thomas, Moving on to you for my next question, Um, the digital mapping platform you created with Google called Restore provides information to support restoration based on location. How have you seen in the last few years this technology affect forest restoration and maybe even challenge or change the way it's being carried out?
4: Yeah, it's a really exciting time in the academic world because we're at this this forefront of a Big data revolution. Suddenly we have data that can help people understand the ecology and the dynamics of their ecosystems all around the world. And that sounds like a science-y thing. That sounds nice. But when we get down to it, it can be really useful for helping people, both with the practical challenges of figuring out what ecology, you know, what ecological strategies to use. But most importantly, it's because we are now at the stage where we can democratize data so it's accessible to everyone anywhere anything that anyone learns can be made available to anyone and what we're seeing on we built this platform as you mentioned restore which now hosts around 140,000 local community projects so it's like sort of like a google maps and you you draw a shape around your uh, your area your garden your your forest your whatever it is and you can then get ecological information and you get Uh, data that tells you how healthy the ecosystem is and how many species are there. But what we found is by far the most valuable part of that is that until now, many of those projects have been working alone in isolation. They've been feeling totally disconnected. And restoration can be incredibly difficult. It's a social challenge. It's an ecological challenge. You need to learn so much about the ecology and the the environment. And it can often take years or decades of trial and error, which can be costly and time-consuming and difficult. But just this idea that now they are no longer alone That has been the thing that people have most frequently come back to us. They're like, I can see where I exist in space. I can find other partners that are taking on similar challenges. I feel part of something bigger. And that helps them to overcome so many of those emotional challenges of getting getting past those ecological hurdles. Now, Restore is not going to fix all of those challenges. Maybe it will help a little bit by by providing some data and some information, but those challenges will be fixed by the people on the ground. But it's the ability to be part of something bigger, find themselves in space, and connect with people that will enable them, that is already enabling them to overcome some of those hurdles and, and speed up the success of that restoration, which is benefiting the biodiversity and the people who live there. So it's it's really this idea that we're, we're able to With this big data revolution form this collective global community that can share knowledge and share information and share support, and also connect to funders and to people who might want to buy their sustainable products or to partners who who might want to to share knowledge or information. And it's that that community growth, it's that idea of community and togetherness that I think is the most inspiring thing in, in, in what technology can bring to the movement.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much for Thomas for sharing that and I must say I must admit I was very lucky to meet one of your colleagues at COP27 this year and it was great to actually also see the the new uh, version of the Restore platform. I was I was very very interested in that. So I'm I'm wishing all the best on on developing it further and seeing what it can offer to the movement as you uh, just said So um, we have a few questions that came from the audience um, that are based on different things you all three mentioned during your answers before. So I think I'm going to take this first question to Thomas. Um, The question is, what are some of the most effective uh, ways to fight the polarization that both you and Robert talked about um, surrounding forest restoration? What would you suggest to people that want to go against this way of polarization and simplistic messages?
4: That is a great question because I have no idea how to answer it. That, that is the question I'm asking myself every day. I think it's the biggest challenge we have right now in terms of the global conversation. Um, and my instinct, uh, which sounds very uh, wishy-washy, but my instinct, <laughs> it's, I'm almost embarrassed in saying this, it's, I think it's to do so with love. If you can appreciate the pain from which people are giving that perspective, they're not, they're not saying that 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 polarizing perspective is not coming from the perspective of people who are right or wrong. It's coming from the perspective of people who are who are devastated by how real the the extent of real suffering that climate change is causing. And that suffering is motivating them to say we need We need to cut emissions, don't distract from cutting emissions, don't distract from cutting emissions i and if you I think if we understand the painful perspective that they're coming from, you can speak to them with um, more uh, humility or more uh, more understanding. and I think then that's the place to start leading the conversation, not away from climate change but but to say look we're, this is partially contributing to climate change but it's also so many other things again as both Robert and Eva said as we're all saying it's all the other benefits that that should be the priority nature restoration should be primarily for the local people and the biodiversity it depends on and as a byproduct it impacts climate it, it benefits climate change and I, yeah in in my process that's that seemed to to work but again it's a good question because it's it's the big challenge we've all got right now
1: no, that's that's a great answer. I must say that my always my favorite professors in university were the people that were saying, "I'm not sure, I don't know, but that's my idea. Let's let's find out together." So I think that's a great place to start. I don't know, Robert, if you because you also uh, mentioned a lot of the polarization and the simplistic messages. Would you also like to add something on what Thomas said?
2: No, I totally uh, agree with what Thomas said, and, and and I say that in a sense we should. More than the people that, that in, in fact, that how can I say, you have the people that believe in restoration and they say, okay, the restoration is, in fact, you do restoration for many other things and then you can store some carbon. Uh, then you have the people that say, you should not do that because you distract uh, our priority, which is reducing fossil fuel. And I think these people are the people that, like I believe that we should treat them with love. Then you have another bunch of people that are the ones that use the excuse of restoration to continue business as usual. That's a different crowd and much less sympathetic. And and this this is the, the one where, in a sense, what we should do is focalize the polarization of the current debate onto these people saying that you are just doing greenwashing. You are not doing restoration to restore something. You are doing restoration to continue emitting greenhouse gases as you have been doing and making profits. And, and I think if you know it's, if you find a common enemy, then it's much more easier to to bring the people together, even the people that say, oh, restoration. So, you need to target them against the bad restoration greenwashing project, and, and you need to show them that that's not what we recommend. What we recommend is something different. Uh, and uh, that may be a possible tactic to to direct the polarization against uh, some of the actors that we would like to disappear.
1: Thank you, thank you, Robert. I think this is actually a pretty good argument concerning the fact of sometimes the people you see in this polarized argument are not necessarily the people that should be fighting each other. It's indeed uh, the anger that comes from all this greenwashing or business as usual or pledges that never came through um, that make people extremely cautious, I would say, even towards things that are probably valuable solutions to um, to what we we are going through. Thank you so much for, for this uh, impromptu question. I think it was it was quite nice that someone asked that, picked that up from the from the discussion and asked that in the chat. Um and there is one more question that came in, and I think it's quite important to ask. Um someone really um seemed interested in the idea that um indeed when we talk about forest restoration, the dominant discourse is the X amount of trees that are going to be planted. And Robert mentioned a couple of numbers there. So um, someone is asking in the chat, how can we potentially leverage this dominant discourse to actually do more impactful and qualitative forest restoration? And Robert, I'll um, give the question to you since you wrote the numbers in the discussion.
2: Well, I, I, again, I, I don't think that we should discuss in terms of numbers of trees. I think we should discuss in, 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 in numbers of hectares of land restored. And then pe- pe- people tend to forget that when you take big restoration initiatives like the Bone Challenge, the significant part of the Bone Challenge was about restoring grassland, not simply forests. So in fact, the question is, is really what Thomas mm-hmm. said. Uh, how do we convince people that beyond the big public relations campaign, saying that uh, Ethiopia will plant 6 million trees per day, or, which in a sense is a bit ambivalent. They, they, are, they are good and they are bad, but fundamentally, we should show the people okay? this is what a certain amount of land restore in a given place has changed the life of the people. And people were miserable without water, without fruits, without fodder for their cattle. They put themselves together. They had some technical advice. And and 10 years later, they have water, they have fodder for, for their cattle. They have fruits and they have trees. So, but it's not a number of trees. Maybe 10 trees is enough. In other place, you will need millions. So I think it's a matter of saying what we want is a certain amount of land that is restored to a state where it's not degraded, but it's productive. For whatever you decide, it's a production. Ecosystem services, biodiversity, timber, if it's timber, for the whatever. I think that, that that's that, I mean, I don't see any other solution.
1: Thank you, that's great. It's great to hear that we might be focusing also completely on the wrong numbers. Uh, Candy, there is also a question for you from the chat. Um, and I, I really like what the audience is asking here. Um, then the question is, what do people like you, people that work very close with our community, community leaders, community organizers, need from scientists like Robert and Thomas, leading scientists in big institutions. How can these people support communities like yours?
3: Uh, That's a wonderful question. Uh, And listening to Thomas and um, Robert, I think uh, there's a very huge uh, still gap uh, because I would say personally, uh, and this was something I hoped to share before this conversation ended, the the strength there is in collaboration. I'd say personally, maybe I'm really good at community engagements and educating and all that, but I lack some of the very nitty gritty technical details on, um, on maybe soil, on maybe the tree types to plant, and all that, and I'm so happy this this workshop we attended on uh, seed uh, tree diversity and quality seeds. And actually, it was an eye opener for me because for the longest time, I see uh, us and my community maybe uh, just get uh, trees from everywhere or. Personally, what I used to do is collect seeds that have uh, just uh, the small wildlings that are growing, maybe in forests or in farms, and transfer them to my tree massaries. And And that shows there's a very huge knowledge gap. And how these uh, technical and scientists uh, and all these technical people, uh, how they've come in is in a very huge way to now bridging this whole gap. You know, even in my community, with this whole agricultural practice, uh, over time it has really the produce has been um, uh, going less and less over the years because there's been a lot of unsustainable agriculture uh, and a lot of machinery used in the farms. People don't know the the like the soil quality and maybe how we need to do like mixed uh, farming how the legumes do this and all that, all those uh, dainty bridges are with the scientists. And I think if we could have more of these uh, experts partner with people like us and now bringing me now all this technical knowledge on how to better this, then I think all these efforts you're putting in will be more sustainable and everyone will be happy if, because there's something to learn from everyone. And I think also... Uh, we still need a lot of uh, expertise, um advice on how to do these things more sustainably and more appropriately, because most of the times you know we just give it to our knowledge and miss out on some of those very important issues that we need to focus on.
1: Thank you, Gandhi. I understand that accessibility then is is a very big issue. And I think Thomas also um touched upon this when he talked about the data revolution. So, I'm also very happy to hear that you enjoyed the, the workshop on seeds. Uh, I remember you saying how useful it was, so that's, that, that's great to hear. Um, beautiful. So, we are almost at the end of this discussion, so I would love to just have one more question for each of you um, as an inspiration, let's say, for our audience. And the first question would be for uh, Thomas. Uh, so. Thomas, tell us what some, are some like changes or developments that uh, you are mostly excited about in forest restoration for 2023, what should we have our eyes on for this year?
4: Um, I think I've been quite excited about the upspike in political uh, momentum around this because that polit- the, the policy world always follows interest in the in in the public sector, in, interest in in our our own interest, but uh, last year's biodiversity COP was a fantastic step forward um, for the governmental commitments around the protection of nature, and there was and that's. A fantastic. That is the best starting place. We need to protect the nature that we still have on this planet. The 30 by 30 initiative getting support is an incredible step forward. There was then mentions of the need then to also restore nature. and I think what I'm excited about in the next year or two is to really build on that, um, that interest, to really highlight, to, to get governments and companies pledging commitment also at, uh, uh, to a similar scale of commitment around the the need to restore nature because that is how we're going to have both the, the protection of what we have now and the revitalization of what we possibly can and again it always comes down to changing the perspective we're not doing this just to address climate change we are nature is for the people and the biodiversity who they depend on and as a result, we'll have benefits uh, for climate change and all, the, all other uh, global threats.
1: Thank you, Thomas, for that. Um, Robert, um, building on what Thomas said, we have just adopted the Kunming-Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework. It has a target on restoration, the 30 by 31. What do you hope to see in the next decade?
2: We hope to see money because it costs uh, and uh, hey, whatever mode of restoration you use in Minnesota, it costs money. It costs money that, unfortunately, people don't have. And if what I hope to see is that we are becoming a bit more serious uh, in terms of our priorities. Uh, we are in a world where we are spending uh, every year $1.3 trillion in uh, military expenditure, yeah, where we cannot find $10 billion for climate change that is going to be our end. So I think what I hope to see um, anytime soon, and, uh, but I'm not only my breath importantly, and is that we take our priority right. So that, that means that we remove the, ince- the incentive that we are given to fossil fuel, at the rates of $11 million a minute, that we remove the perverse incentive that we are giving to uh, unsustainable agriculture, uh, that we spend a bit less money in terms of military expenditure, and then that we reinvest all this money in terms of having uh, locally uh, guided uh, restoration uh, by millions or billions of people. Because even if you restore a little bit of land, if you have a lot of people doing it, you end up having a big amount of land restored. So that's my hope. Uh, we should never lose hope, but...
1: Thank you, Robert. So we have excitement for the political momentum that seems to be getting better in some sense. We have a very, very clear uh, prompt on the need for funding. Uh, for all these pledges and promises and all this political momentum. So Kandi, let's close it with you. What is your hope for forest restoration um, and especially community-led forest restoration for the upcoming years?
3: Uh, Of course, um, this is a wonderful question and I love what both Thomas and Robert have shared. And especially what Robert has shared, uh, we need money. Uh, you know, money is the catalyst to enable all these efforts we're putting in to Uh And what I also hope to see is more collaborations between um, the actors. You know, uh, unfortunately, in one way or another, I've interacted with um, a few individuals whom clearly you see like it's a competition, like, who gets what and who gets most partners. But uh, as we all have shared here, it's about the communities that depend on it, the biodiversity that depends on all this restoration we're talking about. And I'd love to, I'm so happy that uh, as Thomas shared, I'm part of the uh, restore community and it's so beautiful to see like myself from a very global point of view. And I hope to see all this, People, us, the community, the scientists, um, the technical, everyone. I hope to see us Jane hands and listen to every voice. Every voice is extremely valid. I just can't go and tell people what you need are trees and that's uh, the planet is dying and we need trees, not understanding uh, what the problem is. Um, I need to see more people who care and as Thomas said totally, I vouch for love. If we do all these things in love, I think uh, there's hope to uh, restore everyone's, uh, or to at least do something that uh, will be worth of saying that we did it in the right way. So I hope to see us joining hands and more people, uh, community people, uh, visiting the labs, uh, maybe one day visiting uh, Thomas's labs and getting to see all that knowledge. I hope to see Thomas in Africa or in Kenya, teaching my kids, the kids that I mentor, and inspiring them to be scientists who will change their community in a scientific way. I hope to see more robots and eCraft and UNEP working with people like uh, us uh, to make these efforts you're doing more sustainable and see that everyone is happy, the wildlife, the bees, the insects, the people, everyone else is happy with whatever efforts you're putting in. So yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you, Candy. It's very, it's always extremely difficult to respond anything after you since you're such a beautiful storyteller. Um, thank you so much for closing this conversation in such a hopeful and positive way. Um, thank you, Candy, thank you, Robert, thank you, Thomas, for um, coming today here. Thank you for sharing your perspectives. And for everyone that uh, stayed with us, thank you for joining. Um, and have a wonderful 2023 and a wonderful rest of the day.
0: Join us again in two weeks' time as we take a deep dive into the ocean to learn why marine ecosystems are so crucial to solving climate change and how we can take better care of them. In case you missed it, The GLF Live podcast is now bi-weekly rather than weekly, but in the meantime, we will also be live-streaming new interviews on our YouTube and social media channels, so be sure to follow us there if you'd like to tune in live. That's it for now. Leave us a rating, write us a review, and for everything you need to know about landscapes, ecosystems, and climate change, check out our website at globallandscapesforum.org. We'll see you on the next one.